This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. In this episode, I've been to Yorkshire and spoken to two political journalists to find out what might happen there. Plus, I'm joined by Esther Webber to cast a critical eye over the first week because I don't know if you've noticed, but there's an election campaign on. If either of us were in a fire, whatever the fire brigade said, we would leave a burning building. Empty chair here. It was supposed to be filmed, uh, filled, I should say, by the chairman of the Conservative Party. Alan Cairns, the Welsh Secretary, has quit. Tom Watson is standing down. I've got lots of other things I want to do in life. I'm training to be a level two gym instructor. Look, I've come to the conclusion that it can't be Jeremy Corbyn and so on that basis. I think people should vote for Boris Johnson. Happy Christmas election, Britain. So first of all, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Esther Webber, Red Box reporter. Esther, we've had our first full proper week of campaigning. Has it been good for anyone? Not that we can tell. Someone said the other day that they joke, thank God tomorrow is polling day, because it really does feel like it's been going on for about five weeks already. Uh, so many people have had a bad week this week. Particularly disastrous was the start of the campaign for the Conservatives, even before their official launch. Jacob Rees-Mogg had got himself into really deep trouble by suggesting that the Grenfell Tower victims lacked common sense. He apologised and we then had another Tory MP, Andrew Bridgen. Andrew Bridgen, a man never shy of trying to defend the indefensible. Exactly, and he did just that when he weighed in to say that those comments had been perfectly fine. He then had to apologise and all this was going on at the same time that the build-up was happening to the resignation of Alan Cairns, the Welsh Secretary, over what he did know but said he didn't know about a candidate who had been involved in sabotaging a rape trial. Not really the kind of headlines you want to see. There was also a doctored video of Keir Starmer, which James cleverly ended up defending, and that was just the first half of the week. And actually, James Covey didn't defend it everywhere because he didn't go on Sky News allowing Kay Burley to empty chair him yeah. in a clip that went viral of her listing all of the problems the Tory party <laughs> had. And even if 
even if you accept that the Tory claim was they weren't booked to go on Sky News, we have to ask yourself, why not? Why, when you were doing a media round, uh, would you give Sky the excuse? Uh, Kay Burley wrote a piece of Red Box where she explained that, in fact, she even collared James Cleverly. He agreed to her face to go on it. And then they backtracked, uh, leading to this the, the video to go viral. Uh, but on the plus side for the Tories, as someone said, the empty chair was probably the best media performance <laughs> by a Tory this week. Yeah, vote empty chair. Well, in fact, there were just more and more empty chairs around the cabinet table because Nicky Morgan's the culture secretary is going. Alan Cairns has gone. Uh, if we carry on at this rate, there won't be anybody left in the cabinet by the time we get to the polling day. <laughs> well, exactly. They've also had some issues about some of the candidates they've selected. There's a controversial figure going into a safety in Broadland. Um, so that's the one that Conrad, who, who made some comments in defence of Chad Evans, the footballer, he was trying to basically say that women bore some responsibility in rape cases and used yeah. the phrase, keep your knickers on. Yes. Which is yes. Um, ill-advised at best. There was also the Tory candidate, whose yeah. name I've forgotten, who said that people on benefits should be put down. Yes, and uh, not to be outdone, there's the Labour woman in Coventry who was uh, calling or saying she would celebrate the death of Tony Blair. Because you've, what you've done there is yeah. you've brought us onto it. So the Tory party appear to be getting themselves into as much of a hole as they possibly can to get their campaign off to the worst possible start. Uh, at which point the Labour Party says, oh, 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 hang on a minute, we can keep up with you in those stakes. And on Wednesday night, we get the news that Tom Watson is quitting, not just as Labour deputy leader, but as an MP uh, in a resignation letter in which he doesn't quite say that he wants Jeremy Corbyn to win the election and become Prime Minister, only to be topped the morning after by Tom Watson's old mate, Ian Austin, saying that he he's a former Labour MP, he quit over anti-Semitism. He's not only not going to stand in Dudley in his seat as an independent, but he's encouraging people in that seat to vote for the Tories because he would rather have Boris Johnson than Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister. Yeah, it was quite something to wake up to these comments from Ian Austin saying that Boris Johnson would be a better Prime Minister than Jeremy Corbyn. The leader of the party, Ian Austin, has been in for more than 30 years. Um, also, this was meant to be a big day for Labour on the economy. And obviously, all anyone was talking about was the fact that Tom Watson and Ian Austin, two big figures in the party, uh, have up sticks. And the reaction, of course, uh, is... Well, in fact, certain people on Twitter dismiss them both as Blairites, who are better off out of the party, slightly misunderstanding the history of the Labour Party, because both Tom Watson and Ian Austin were Brownites. They worked for Gordon Brown. They were close allies with Gordon Brown. Ian Austin had been a spin doctor for Gordon Brown. Tom Watson was a minister who helped, basically, with the curry plot, bring down Tony Blair. But obviously they were all dismissed as sort of being on the right of the party and yeah. all that sort of thing. Do you think this matters? Do you think that people will, will... I mean, apart from your right, if the headlines end up being Jeremy Corbyn having to respond to this stuff rather than whatever the message was, their new bus or whatever, but do you think this matters or is this Westminster Village stuff? It was interesting to hear Rebecca Longwady, the Shadow Business Secretary, being relatively conciliatory, saying it was sad to see Ian go. Um, whereas John McDonnell has just been addressing a rally in Liverpool where he accuses Ian Austin of being in bed with the Tories and kind of says, what do you expect? So there you can see two quite different messages trying to be sort of emollient to anyone who might be wavering on the one hand and likely to be listening to the Today programme 
and then to the base kind of saying well good riddance yeah that is interesting okay is there anyone who's had a good week let's talk about the other parties just quickly <laughs> Joe Swinson is still going around telling everyone she's going to be yeah. Prime Minister she's probably had a better week on it all apart from uh, an unfortunate incident with the sound at her launch speech which sounded really awful yes yeah, she is continuing to beat the drum that she can be Prime Minister even though we know that's basically out of the question and then today is some good news for her with this Remain Alliance pact that's been reached because it seems like it will mainly benefit the Lib Dems. They're being allowed to stand uncontested by Plough Cymru and the Greens in dozens of seats across the country and a number of them seats they've held before or just missed out on last and, and the price for that seems to be letting the Greens have a good run at a couple of seats yeah. so it seems like the Lib Dems have done better out of that I suppose we should talk about the Brexit party Nigel Farage he's yeah. been all over the place as well trying to justify yeah. it seems like he had a wobble over was he going to stand in every seat then he wasn't yeah. and then he was and then lots of people pointed out, well, actually, if you do that, you might just take votes off the Tories and hand lots of seats to Labour and hold a Corbyn government, which ends up blocking or watering down Brexit. He's not had a brilliant week either. A few of his candidates have actually walked off because they've said we shouldn't be opposing the Tories in these seats. So there was one in Dundee and one in Tombridge and then also Workington, which is... Yeah, Workington Man. Last week, all Workington Man, they were, they were the ones who were going to yeah. win. That was the target for the Tories to win Workington Man. Yeah. Farage calls it uh, patronising nonsense, goes to Workington, only for the Brexit party to lose its candidate in Workington. And the fear is for the Tories, certainly, that if the Brexit party continues to stand, we could see what happened in some places like Peterborough at the by-election where the Tories did relatively well but the Brexit party was enough to let Labour through. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't, probably don't need to really talk about UKIP. I'm not even sure they've still got a leader. That no. Was a thing. <laughs> no, no one really knows what's um, going on with them. All you need to know from Scotland is that Nicola Sturgeon still wants a Scottish referendum and this yes. week she played the guitar. She maybe looked like She's probably better at politics than well, she, she... Did she really pick... Because the clip I saw was the other two people with her were playing the guitar and she held the guitar and then just sort of banged it like a drum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she sort of looked probably about as comfortable playing a guitar as I would be. So I'm not sure why she agreed. So I think we could agree, week one of the election, it's not going terribly well. It's not going terribly well. Five more weeks of this... <laughs> As the nights draw in, it is getting colder. Yeah. It, it, on my travels this week, it's been uh, it's been getting much colder. Um, Esther Webber, thank you very much. So on my travels this week, I've been to uh, Yorkshire. I was doing my stand-up show in Leeds. But I caught up with a couple of local journalists to try and find out what was happening on the uh, ground there and what they expect to happen in the election. Later, I'll speak to Rob Parsons, who's the political editor of the Yorkshire Post. But first of all, I caught up with Joe Pike, who's the ITV political reporter for the region. So normally you're based in Westminster, yeah. but you've been dispatched to the patch yeah, for exactly. the election. Yeah, for 39 nights in Leeds. And is that exciting? Yeah, really good. It's really, really busy. We know we're going to get lots of visits. So last time around in 2017, Theresa May visited Yorkshire more than anywhere else in the country apart from central London. And obviously that didn't quite work because the region's packed full of marginal seats and a lot of them are less marginal after 
uh, that effort from her. But so, so it didn't just not work, it had the opposite effect, potentially. I mean, they picked up a couple of seats in uh, Mansfield, northeast Derbyshire, but no, lo- lost a few. And the big targets, I mean, they launched a manifesto in Halifax, that is currently a Labour seat. Labour also launched their manifesto in Bradford and Yorkshire, so we are expecting endless party leader visits and probably more probably more interesting than last time because it was quite um she had a sort of identikit style of going to a factory not saying a huge amount being quite controlled jeremy corbyn did a lot of big rallies but held in the evening and slightly late so we'd often be live in a in a location waiting for jeremy corbyn to arrive at five past six ten past six when we we're on air and he would arrive when we we're off air and so we see all these people <laughs> and you wouldn't see him so hopefully this year we'll have a different style of leader visit and do you think that will involve Boris Johnson out and about meeting people? Yeah, he's certainly done that a lot so far. So he, went, he came to Yorkshire three times in a month at one stage. One of those visits was, of course, at the police college near yeah, Morley Wakefield. Yeah. He was on Morley High Street where the guy said, please leave my town. Uh, so that was one visit. He visited Leeds Prison and was taught about plugging, about how prisoners bring drugs and mobile phones into into jail using Kinder Eggs. Uh, he had that lesson. And he was um, he came to Doncaster and Rotherham. So in Rotherham, he denied saying those comments about money being spaffed up the wall. He told the Rotherham advertiser, it's not quite what I said, it's not what I said. And that was also when he was in Doncaster and there was a woman heckling him. But to be fair, I do think he is very capable at handling those sorts of people. And sometimes, yeah, it's going to be a viral tweet of someone saying, oh, look, this person was angry. Actually, he's quite um, comparatively comfortable at handling those situations compared to his predecessor. And people watching it, some people watching it, will think, "Oh, good on him. He handled that well." It is not. It's not totally a negative. Uh, a politician coming into contact with a hostile and member of the Doncaster public. is a. You know, these are, are the Labour heartlands, South Yorkshire. Every single seat was uh, Labour at the last election. Every council is is Labour run. We've had one defect, one defector now to the Lib Dems, but you know, it's. And Doncaster's the sort of one that people have used for a long time because you had Ed Miliband in a seat that was voted leave and you know, very heavily leave, Jeremy Corbyn in a seat in his interview. And this is a sort of, it's, it's essentially sums up Labour's two problems with their current leader and their previous one yeah. of how do you try and appeal to Islington and Doncaster? Yeah, and I think for Doncaster to be, I mean, it, it is probably one of the higher reaching Um, seats that the Tories could aim for. I think when you talk to MPs who know the area, people in the area, my colleagues who know the area, um, and, you know, in Doncaster far more than me, um, even though that's where my my mum's from, I'm from Doncaster, I'm in there every school holiday as a child, um, they would say um, there's something culturally there, which means the leap to voting Conservative is far further than the leap to vote UKIP. So Nigel Farage was in part of the patch day talking to him about this thing, and he says it's he, he was sort of characterising it as partly due to what happened in the 70s and the 80s and Thatcher and it's being something far, far deeper. And of course, a lot of these people have, um, a lot of voters have voted UKIP or the Brexit party in the EU elections. So there is already history. They've taken that step already. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it will be fascinating to see if he really does have candidates in all of these seats. I think Doncaster Barnsley probably the higher reaches, but the Tories are definitely targeting a lot of parts of West Yorkshire, 
places like Dewsbury and Normanton Pontefract and Castleford, Wakefield, and all these seats they were targeting last time, Halifax again, hoping effectively they, they, they will try, I believe, to you know, hoover up seats in Yorkshire to make up for those they're losing, you know, and as we know elsewhere, on, possibly. On election night, where will you be? I will be at one of the counts. It depends what's most interesting. The Tories are certainly targeting very heavily West Yorkshire and in Lincolnshire, you know, very pro-leave. Boston is obviously already a Conservative seat, the most pro-leave constituency in the country. But there the, are most, three... the most vox-popped town in Britain. Oh, and I know, yeah. And, <laughs> and internationally as well. I mean, you go, to that, you go there, to, we, I, I go there to cover something non-Brexit related and you have people from Japan, from <laughs> Holland there to understand what people... And they are, everyone is so used to, to being vox-popped. They, they can do a type five at its side, yeah. <laughs> yes. And there are, you've got Lincoln there, which is Labour-held, Scunthorpe, Grimsby, and... I think the Tories are pretty heavily targeting them because it's such a big leave vote. But where are we going to go in the next few weeks? And are voters in their minds going to have Brexit? Or are they going to be thinking about... And I suppose if Boris Johnson turns up in one seat three times between now and the election, that means that's a seat they've got their eye on heavily. Probably don't even go to the seats that you're confident of nabbing. It's the ones that you're really trying trying to turn. And, I mean, of course, when you're talking to people on the street in someone like Doncaster... You know, there was one woman when I was last there saying, I would rather cut my leg off with a rusty saw than vote for him. But there are people who are like, <laughs> oh, actually, I quite like him. And um, it'll be interesting if, if he, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see if he can make inroads, even even if he doesn't win seats. Um, uh, the, the, the majorities, which are pretty significant, could be possibly slashed. And what's your top tip for surviving a Christmas election? How are you going well, to I mean, you know more about it than pace me. yourself? I was at a choir rehearsal last night and a woman said to me, oh, you've got to take your own cushions. What's, what's a choir or to, while you're going around? Because I'm, I'm in, a, in a self-catered oh, hotel see. room for 39 nights. Right. Trying to make it a bit more homely, I think. Soft furnishings. Soft that's furnishings. I'm, I'm yet to purchase any cushions back, but maybe, um, maybe that'll be on my list. But I think trying to eat healthily and do a little bit of exercise because everyone goes back to Westminster looking greasy and tired and overweight and I'd rather avoid that if possible because that's going to happen at Christmas anyway right? exactly you've already got Christmas it just means you're going to be eating the Christ- double whammy will be New Year Christmas puddings on your own you the news resolutions that. will be really yeah. difficult yeah but it's alright because we're going to have another election in February that was Joe Pike from ITV News next up I speak to Bob Parsons from the Yorkshire Post not just about politics and what's happening in Yorkshire in general and Leeds in particular we'll be back after this short break 
Welcome back. You're listening to Red Box Politics Podcast from the Times of me, Matt Chorley. Next, we catch up with Rob Parsons from the Yorkshire Post, and he met me as I got off the train in Leeds. Right, you just lead the way. Yeah, so this is Leeds Station, obviously. The uh, roof here is just been redone. It used to be very dark and dingy in this concourse where it's going over there. Uh, but now they've got a, a bright new translucent uh, roof, uh, which is, makes the whole thing seem a bit uh, airier and uh, just generally a bit more pleasant. And is this the sort of investment in the Northern Rail that local people are crying out uh, for? It's one, of the th- it's one of the things that needs to happen. I think there's a lot more that needs to be doing than that. I mean, I'm sure whenever you come up north, you'll probably hear people talking about the trains and the, the lack of investment. And the money actually is starting to come in in various ways now but there's still a long way to go. There's a part of me that's quite excited about the Westminster Press Pack getting on the shabby old northern <laughs> trains, going around the north, just getting a taste of what it's, uh, of what it's like in the coming, in coming weeks. I think that'll be quite gratifying from the point of view of people who have to experience it on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, people who spend, who completely lose their minds over a four-minute wait yeah. on a London underground. Yes, well, I, I used to live in London, and uh, I remember getting, uh, I got into the state where I'd get out to the platform, and if the, the wait for the next train was more than two minutes, I'd, I'd, I'd be in despair. But now it's routine when you get on a train or a bus, the, the waits are considerably longer than that, but you just become uh, accustomed to it, I guess, after a while. So we'll talk about Yorkshire more broadly and what that, how that looks at the election. But as we, as we walk through Leeds uh, city centre, what sort of state is Leeds in? Well, Leeds has got a pretty good story to tell at the moment, actually. We're just coming around the corner and in a minute you'll see the uh, new base for Channel 4, which is obviously announced last year is having its national headquarters here. So this building up ahead of us, it, it's the Majestic building. It, it used to be a, a cinema and a nightclub and it, it burned down. Uh, or it was gutted by a fire. Uh, but then uh, last year, uh, Channel 4 announced they're coming to Leeds and they're going to be in this nice building here. It's a, a stone throw from the station. So that's one of the good things about Leeds. That was quite, that was quite hotly contested, wasn't it? Very hotly contested. Uh, Manchester and Birmingham both put in very strong bids for it. And I think most people thought it's going to go to Manchester because they've already got Media City. But, I mean, Leeds put in a very strong case. I think the internal politics... Uh, in Leeds uh, and West Yorkshire is a lot more united than it was in in Manchester as well and that that, that made quite a big a big difference. As well as that, Google's got a, a base just down the road from here. Sky announced last week that they're bringing 500 new jobs to uh, just, in fact, our office at the Yorkshire Post just, just down the road. And there's, we're going to be walking through in a minute, this area that they call uh, the, the White Hall of the North, which is going to be a big massive government hub where thousands of government workers are going to be transferred to in, in the coming months. So, so is uh, that actually happening? I remember 10, 15 years ago covering stories about how civil servants are going to be moved out of Whitehall. It is happening. I mean, the, building, the buildings are, uh, are coming up. I think the precise composition of the offices uh, and which departments are going to be here and so forth is, is still sort of in negotiations. But you'll, you, you'll see when we go around this corner, all the buildings are there. And it's going to... I used to... When I first moved here from London, I used to work at the Evening Standard. And my first job was in here was in 2013. And I walked from the station to our, our office and the, the walk was completely desolate. There was nothing to see whatsoever. But now in the, this area of the city centre. There's loads of new offices, bars, cafes. It, it, it's, it's, it's the, the transformation's been quite dramatic, actually. And so uh, local people in Leeds are so pleased with how things go, and they're all going to vote Tory. <laughs> I, I suspect not. I mean, um, 
I mean, to move on to the, like yeah. how the, the 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 sort of political picture. I mean, uh, in Leeds itself, Le- the this this is Leeds Central, which is Hillary Benn's seat, and most of the inner city, most of the main Leeds city seats are solidly Labour. Can't see that changing. And then elsewhere in Yorkshire, uh, you've got 54 seats in total. Labour. It's a big old patch. For you it is to a cover. big old patch. 5.2 million people. It's uh, yeah, it's very big. And of of those 54 MPs. 35 are Labour, 17 Tory, we've got one Lib Dem and uh, Jared Amara, unclassified uh, independents. And the region as a whole voted 58 to 42 in favour of Leave in 2016. So that kind of paints a picture of a very strong Labour, very strong Leave sort of region. But actually there's a lot more nuance than that. In individual areas like Leeds voted to remain, York voted to remain, Harrogate voted to remain that sort of nuance is, is not necessarily picked up on out uh, in, in, in Westminster but that is do you, do you mean do you mean when people say the north voted leave yes <laughs> yes exactly exactly I think there is a perception that the north is one homogenous Brexit voting mass in perhaps the same way that up north people perceive London to be full of you know full, full of remainers uh, and it's obviously neither of those things are uh, neither of those things are true in the pre-election period in the last few weeks, it, it, it's been no secret that, that Boris Johnson's been making strong overtures to the north. He's promising high-speed rail between Leeds and Manchester and promising better buses and more powers for local mayors, more police officers, hospitals, etc. And that kind of feeds into the narrative that there's all these Labour leave seats that are just waiting to be scooped up by a Prime Minister with a sort of strong Brexit-supporting message. But I, I think... The reality is, is it might be a bit more difficult for him to get these seats than you might imagine. Because I was, I was reading an interesting Twitter thread from uh, Rob Ford, the Manchester University academic, last night, which uh, points out that even in these Labour Leave seats, the majority of Labour voters are actually actually voted Remain, and the ones that uh, back Brexit, uh, like Labour Labour voting Brexiteers, went to UKIP in 2015 and then to the Conservatives in 2017. So, so, so if Labour won these seats in 2017, it, put, it, was with, it wasn't relying on Brexit votes? Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Like, if you look at areas like Don Valley, which is Caroline Flint's seat, or Normanton, Pontefract and Castleford, which is Yvette Cooper's seat, there's a strong, like, an upsurge in Conservative, conservative votes and a huge down, downturn in, uh, in UKIP votes in, in those areas. So it's safe to assume that the UKIP, the Brexit-backing votes, went from UKIP to the Conservatives and those areas. So obviously we don't know the exact strength of the Brexit party, how many, like how strong the candidates are gonna be pushed in individual areas. But I think the perception that the Brexit party are gonna damage Labour, uh, I think if anything, they're gonna take votes off the Conservatives and make it harder for Boris Johnson to win these, to win these marginal seats. So it, it, it may not, it may not necessarily be the case that Boris picks up a ton, a ton of seat, uh, a ton of Labour marginals in this area. It could happen, but it's not, not a, not a sure thing, I would say. And what about the sort of the deep-seated sense that Labour voters will never vote Tory, and then yet there's other. The British election study said that half of people changed their votes between 2010 and 2017. How ingrained is that sort of Labour culture? It is pretty strong in a lot of places. Like it does, it, it does, it, it does vary. 
in the local elections, which is, I guess, is quite a good guide. Like in in quite a bit, few areas of Yorkshire, Labour did lose seats, and obviously the Brexit Party was the biggest party by far in the European elections. But whether when push comes to shove, they could actually help vote a Conservative Prime Minister into office, particularly in marginal seats where then every vote counts, I think it might be a stretch for a lot of voters in, a lot, in quite a few areas. And what, what state is the Northern Powerhouse in? Because it was a big thing for David Cameron and George Osborne. It sort of fell a bit by the wayside in early Theresa May days and then was sort of slightly rediscovered. Yeah, I think she, she rediscovered it in the, in the dying days of her premiership when it was probably too late to do anything meaningful. Uh, I think there was a, uh, a very real sense that under Theresa May, the, the Northern Powerhouse agenda lost quite a bit of its steam sort of the, the early promise uh, under George Osborne was never quite fulfilled and obviously since Boris Johnson has, has come in there's been a lot of eye-catching announcements on devolution on rail which uh, suggests that even if it is for only for electoral purposes he's got the north sort of firmly back on his um, back on the radar of government I mean it is interesting I suppose devolution is one of our big issues in in Yorkshire because we uh, even though Manchester, Liverpool, West Midlands and the Tees Valley all have metro mayors unfortunately we haven't managed to to get one yet. Now that explain that because this is this is complicated so other other parts of the country managed to agree the area that the the, the metro mayor should cover. Yeah so they've all George Osborne's sort of big northern powerhouse speech in 2014 introduced or uh, encouraged the concept of of metro mayors and quite a few areas have agreed deals with the government where powers and money are handed from Whitehall to elected metro mayors but for a variety of uh, reasons some of which uh, involve local disagreement and others uh, sort of government not embracing the ideas that have been put forward Yorkshire has yet to get a proper devolution deal and it's to do with disagreements over what areas it should cover primarily like basically what is Yorkshire yeah so the Yorkshire Post's strong view is, or uh, it has been, that is a, a metro mayor for all of Yorkshire is the way forward. So um, one metro mayor with powers for over the entire region from the coast to inner city Bradford to uh, up into the Dales and down into South Yorkshire. But the government weren't keen on that idea. They much prefer smaller city region deals. So there's talks ongoing for a smaller West Yorkshire deal which basically leads and the surrounding area which there was talk of that being signed or at least approved in principle before the election but I think the election came a bit sooner than people expected and so that hasn't happened and then with other smaller deals for South Yorkshire which had a deal agreed in 2015 and then that fell apart and the more rural areas of Yorkshire as well it it may be that at some point we get a, a one Yorkshire metro mayor but it's not on the agenda at the moment although Jeremy Corbyn and Labour their, their policy is for devolution deal for all of Yorkshire rather than just the, the smaller smaller bits. Okay so let's just finally talk about election nights yes when you're staying up all night glued to the telly <laughs> yeah. or at a cow or whatever which are the seats that you're most interested and excited about and keeping a close eye on? Well, I think it's going to be quite hard to take your eyes off Sheffield Hallam, obviously. Jared O'Mara's seat, it remains to be seen whether he will actually be standing as a candidate. I think the suspicion is that he will be because of this loss of office payment. So if you stand as an MP and you lose, you get some money, whereas if you just uh, quit and don't stand, then you don't get that money. May, they may have something to do with it. So we should explain, Jared O'Mara was the Labour candidate who beats 
Nick Clegg yeah. in 2017. He was quite young and he's had quite a lot of problems since he was elected. He, he came out of nowhere really to beat Nick Clegg in 2017 and since then he's got himself into trouble. He made some quite offensive remarks which saw him suspended by the Labour Party. The suspension was lifted but then he was so upset about what had gone on that he quit the Labour Party to stand as an independent. He's had a few problems with his mental health. He's quite a vulnerable guy, I think. And there was an incident earlier this year where a member of his own staff basically got into his Twitter account and resigned his job whilst also issuing a load of uh, abusive messages about Jared O'Mara. And it turns out this staffer is now standing for election against against Jared in the Sheffield Hallam seat. So that would be quite... That'd be as quite an independent as well? Uh, as a, uh, I think he, he's standing for the, the Sheffield Democrats or something like that. I think, I mean, the... That seat was held by the Lib Dems until 2017, and the Lib Dems have a very strong candidate in that seat. So I think there's a good chance that that seat will go back to being uh, Lib Dem. I mean, it's interesting, actually, Sheffield Hallam, you think of it as being part of South Yorkshire, which is sort of Labour-dominated, but for a century, until 1997, it was held almost exclusively by the Conservatives. It's sort of seen as like the, sort of the, the city's one Tory seat. Yes, basically. I mean, it covers quite a bit of the Peak District and sort of affluent villages outside Sheffield. It's a bit of an exception to the sort of Labour domination of, of South Yorkshire. Pudsey is a, a sort of a bellwether seat that's uh, between sort of towns between Leeds and Bradford. Stuart Andrew, the Conservative, has a majority of 300 or so there, and he's a uh, Labour put up a sort of hard left, unabashedly socialist candidate uh, against him in that seat. Rather Valley as well. So Kevin Barron is standing down at this election. He's represented that seat since the 80s the last Yorkshire miner in Parliament, as he describes himself. The Labour, uh, Labour have chosen a 23-year-old woman called Sophie Wilson to stand as a Labour candidate. There was a bit of a row because the shortlist imposed by the Labour NEC didn't have any candidates who lived in the, actually lived in the constituency. So Sophie Wilson is from, is from Sheffield. And so it's a relatively tight seat, that, but you'd expect Labour probably to get in there. Well, well, best of luck with the election. What's your, what's your top tips for surviving a general election? I guess, well, we're going to be getting free pizza. Our editors have already promised that. And the fact that I'm saying it live on air will <laughs> commit, him, commit him to doing it. So, uh, yeah, get as much free food out of people who pay for it as, as you possibly can. But if we're about to play any part and guarantee your pizza, then we're more than happy to do that. <laughs> that was Rob Parsons from the Yorkshire Post. That's all we've got time for for this special Friday edition of the Red Box podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes as we all just try to get through this election together. And sign up to my morning email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox for all of the updates you need about the election in your inbox just after eight o'clock. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.